All right, I want to draw your attention to verse 22 of Psalms 118. It says, The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. So the first two verses that we just looked at right there, uh, they are quoted over and over again in the New Testament. We're going to look at some examples of that. And it was actually quoted. This is actually a prophetic passage about Jesus' triumphant entry. And that's what is uh, we celebrate on Palm Sunday, which is today, where Jesus took that triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Now on Wednesday, we uh, were going through Mark chapter 11, and we talked all about that triumphal entry. And we talked about the many, many prophecies that were in the Old Testament that were kind of being fulfilled during that time. But the one that we didn't cover, because I wanted to save it for today, is Psalms 118, because this prophecy also is directly related to Palm Sunday and Jesus' triumphal entry that he made into Jerusalem. In fact, when we see them, uh, Jesus coming in riding on the colt, the foal of an ass, we see the people singing this very psalm, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. The song that we just sang, those, those same words, they were singing at the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. And so let's go ahead and uh, look at that passage in Matthew chapter 21. Turn over to Matthew chapter 21, verse 1. We'll start reading. This passage is being fulfilled. It's actually being sung during this time. And it says, And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, were come to the Bethphage under the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt the full of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put them and their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that were before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And I showed too on Wednesday how that term Hosanna it means, oh, save. It's a, it's a term of praise, but it's like a cry for salvation. And we see in Psalms 118, in verse 25, it says, Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. And we see in that psalm that they were quoting that it says, save now in there too. And I believe that's one of the reasons they were crying out Hosanna during that time. And it says in verse 10, And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. So uh, there's no doubt that when this is happening, again, and I talked about this on Wednesday, the crowd knew something was happening. They knew something prophetic was going on. They just didn't completely understand it. 
And But we see that, that they are literally quoting from Psalms 118, and appropriately so, because this prophet, prophecy is being fulfilled during this time. And so, first off, though, notice verse 22 and 23, because obviously they did not understand this part of the prophecy when it says, the stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. They understood that, you know, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Send now prosperity. Save us. You know, they liked the sound of all that, but they forgot about those verses before where it's talking about the stone which the builders refused. They forgot about that part of the passage too because we see that being fulfilled in this very passage. You know, they all grabbed onto the part that sounded good and they ran with that. But they forgot about the part that didn't sound so good. They obviously didn't understand it, but God did understand it. God knew what was going to happen, and it was prophesied way back in Psalms exactly what was going to take place. And this prophecy, it is quoted several times in the New Testament, but Jesus quoted that very passage in this event. Look what it says in Matthew 21, verse 42. Because again, a lot's going on. The Pharisees, they realize, hey, something's going on. People are saying, who is this that's coming? They're saying, this is Jesus of Nazareth. When the Pharisees realize what these people are claiming by what they were saying, by the psalm that they were singing, by what's happening, all of a sudden, they reject Jesus Christ, and they're telling Jesus, hey, stop these people from saying what they're saying. You need to stop them. But Jesus tells them, hey, if they, if they were to hold their peace, the rocks were going to cry out. And look what it says in verse 42. Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner? This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say unto you, The kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And I don't want to re-preach Wednesday's message, but we talked about how Israel, they were shutting people out of the kingdom. They weren't bringing them in. They were shutting them out. And because of that, Jesus took the kingdom away from them. And you know what? He took it. He has it. And he's given it to us. And that's why we go into all the world. That's why in our church, we're not like the Jews where we only have Jews. We've got people of different races here. You know why? Because our, his house is to be a house of prayer for all nations. And that's why you know we don't believe in racially segregating churches and things like that. The only reason we would ever even consider any type of segregation is for language reasons, just in case. And but it's if they could still come to ours. So some people they're more comfortable, you know, listening to somebody preach in a tongue they can understand. And that's to me that's the only reason we should ever segregate anything is just for language purposes and when it's a necessity. But either way, uh, you know, that's something that Je you know Jesus Christ gave to the church, and we've been doing a good job. On that, but look what it says. So let's look at some uh, more examples because we see that Jesus uh, quoting that prophecy in Matthew, uh, in Mark. It also gives this account. It's, uh, it, it quotes it. It says in verse ten, "Have you not read the this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected is become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes." In Luke, in the same story, chapter twenty, verse seventeen, and he beheld them and said, "What is?" This then that is written, the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. 
in Acts chapter 4, in verse 10, it says, Be it known unto you and to all the people of Israel by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him did this man stand here before you hold. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby ye must be saved. So we see Peter, after this miracle is uh, has taken place, and they're wondering by what authority they're doing these things. You know what he tells them? It's the stone that you builders refused. That's why. That's how we've done this. By We've done it by the name of Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. The same thing that was said when these Pharisees are looking and they're saying, hey, who is this? They said, you know who it is? It's Jesus of Nazareth. And they rejected him. They rejected him, but yet it's by Jesus Christ that everyone has salvation. There's not another name under heaven given among men other than Jesus Christ. He's the only way of salvation. In 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 4, it says, To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Man rejected Christ, but Jesus Christ was the chosen of God. It says, Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and is the stone of stumbling." And a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. That's, there's no doubt he's talking about the Jews there. But then he goes on to say, but ye, those of you that believe the stone is precious, precious, those of you that have put your faith and trust in him, you know what he said about them? But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praise of him who had called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what the Jews were supposed to be doing. That's what Jesus on Palm Sunday called them out for not doing, for shutting up the kingdom. Because they shut up the kingdom, he said it's being taken away from you and it's being given to another nation. And ladies and gentlemen, we are that nation. We are the chosen people. That's why we don't fly Israeli flags in our church and why we talk about a physical nation, a disobedient nation as the chosen people. We're not going to we're never going to refer to them as that. You know why? Because they are not. They are not. The kingdom has been taken from them and it's been given to us. Who are we? Well, which in time past, we're not a people, but are now the people of God, which have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So we, we were really nothing before, but you know what? Now we are something. You know why? Because we're able to offer up acceptable sacrifices by Christ Jesus. The Jews couldn't offer up acceptable sacrifices. When Jesus came suddenly into his temple, like Malachi 3 prophesied on that Palm Sunday, you know what he did? He ran them out of there because what they were doing was unacceptable. What they had done was made his house into a den of thieves, and he rejected them. They rejected Christ. And as a result of that, he ended up going to another nation, a spiritual people. 
And you have people today, oh, there's no such thing as spiritual Israel. Well, what do you do with First Peter chapter 2 when it talks about we are built up as a spiritual house? Where it says where they were appointed, talking about the Jews, they were appointed to being disobedient, to destruction. It was prophesied that they were going to do these things, but we, a people who had not obtained mercy, who are not a people, we've obtained it, we've got it. We are the people of God. We are the holy nation. We are the royal priesthood. So um, it, it, I'm telling you, if Zionists would just take the time to study Palm Sunday, they'd kill their theology. And that's why you don't hear a lot of preaching on this very thing. They all celebrate it. You know, they all will take these prophecies or these passages from there, and they'll make spiritual life applications with it. But you know what they don't do? They don't teach what it actually just plainly says over and over again because it would kill their theology. But thankfully, you know, we got the right kind of theology so we can talk about all of it. And we can actually get a lot a lot out of it. So Israel did, though, they failed to be a light to the world. They failed. They didn't do it. They shut people out. But you know what? Jesus Christ, he didn't fail. You know what? His church hasn't failed. His church, the, the fact that we here today... 2,000 years later, in America, are still talking about Jesus Christ, it shows that they didn't fail. Somebody got the gospel to us. We weren't, you know, we were, none of, you know, we were not Jews. You know, most of us, if we were to trace our ancestry back, it's not going to go to Israel. I mean, we might have some connection somewhere. I'm sure we all do. But at the end of the day, you know, we all are a different people. We are a mixed group of people here with all kinds of different family history and backgrounds, but yet we are all able to come here today together and worship Jesus Christ. You know why? Because somebody brought the light of the gospel to us, and we have found something in common. And we all, we are literally family here today. Most of us in here today get along better with each other than we do with our physical family. You know why? Because we are a spiritual family. We have that connection through Jesus Christ because somebody got the gospel to us. Men like Paul and the disciples, they did. They went into all the world and they preached the gospel. They got churches established and those churches have been doing the work throughout the centuries and we are still here today thanks to that work that they've done and we have we have the kingdom. Why? And they, the Jews don't. They have, I mean, in, you know, I don't want to get sidetracked in this stuff, but where in the last 2,000 years... Have they contributed to the spiritual good of the world? Nothing. You go, you go find your most Zionist pro-Israel person out there, and you ask about the good that they've contributed. You know what they're going to talk about? Money. But all they've done is brought bondage to most of us. You know that, that's what they that's what they want to talk about. Oh, maybe they'll talk about Einstein. You know, maybe they'll talk about you know physical things that they've done. No, I'm saying spiritually, what have they contributed? Nothing. Zero. Zilch. Nada. Oh, so well, we, we've got the Old Testament because of them. We have the Old Testament because of the Jews up until the first century. But it's been the church that's preserved the scriptures since then. And proof of that is go listen to a Jew preach from the Old Testament and see if you actually get anything out of it and learn anything. See if they've even figured out who Jesus is and the Messiah. They haven't even got that. So understand, they've contributed Nothing. You know what they've been for the last 2,000 years as enemies for the gospel's sake. That's, that's the truth. 
say, well, that, that's harsh. Well, sometimes the truth is harsh. Sometimes the truth is a little bit rough. They failed. And so what's so sad about the story of the triumphal entry is it started out with people rejoicing, like in Zechariah 9.9, like it prophesied. They're shouting Hosanna, which means, oh, save, yet we don't see anybody being saved. You know, and, and why? And so here's the thing about that. Okay, because we, we spoke on Wednesday about the, you know, the prophetic significance of all these things. I don't want to spend a lot of time on that today. I want to spend more time on the spiritual side of these things. But why is it that you have a people crying out, Hosanna, and not getting saved? You know, and it's the same thing too. I was, you know, somebody mentioned this and I, I never really thought of this before. But did you know that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he had the two thieves, right? And we believe one got saved and one didn't. But did you know that the one that was on the left hand actually did ask Jesus to save him? Remember what he said? Hey, if you're really the Christ, save yourself and us. But, so did he not ask Jesus to save him? Yeah, he did. But one, he didn't believe. And two, he wasn't asking for soul salvation like the thief, other thief. The other thief, he just said, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He's just asking for mercy. He knew he was going to die. He was thinking about the afterlife. He was thinking about the spiritual. The other thief was thinking about the physical. He's saying, save me from the cross. He's saying, save me from death, if you're really the Christ. So understand, just again, just saying a prayer doesn't do anything if you don't mean it in your heart, if you're not, and if you're not believing the right things. You have to believe the right things about Jesus Christ. When you ask for salvation, you have to be asking for the right salvation. And I believe what we see here going on during this time is you have people that know the Bible. They're literally quoting, they're singing a psalm like they're supposed to do. They're singing a correct psalm like they were supposed to do. But you know what? They still didn't get the spiritual significance of it. And you know what? We've got many people today, they know a lot of Bible. They've got scriptures memorized. They even know the name of Jesus, but they don't have salvation. They're not saved. Why? It's the same reason Israel didn't find salvation then. They rejected the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. But yet, what does that mean? Because any unsaved religious person would tell you they accept Jesus Christ. So, you know, what mistake did they make? Because what does that mean? When Jesus, because the, the stone which the builders refused. Okay? And back in those days, especially in that area, they built a lot of buildings with stone. And a lot of times a builder, and I've seen builders do this with wood before. Have you ever seen a guy, when he, a carpenter, when he's uh, maybe building some walls and he'll look at a two by four and it's all twisted and he just kind of casts it aside? Because you know, this is, that's not a good piece of wood. And builders would do the same thing with stone. They would see a stone and all right, this is a good one. Let's use this one. If they had a really big one that looked really strong, they'd maybe put it in a key location because they knew it could handle a lot. But sometimes there'd be a stone that didn't look very good, that didn't look like it would be one they could use. And so they would cast it aside. Well, that's what they did with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ comes along and they, the builders, the people that were supposed to be building the kingdom, they rejected Jesus Christ. But you know, it was prophesied that the stone that the builders were going to refuse is going to be the one that's going to become the chief cornerstone. And we see in Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul talked about that. You know, we're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. They're all a part of that. But Jesus Christ is the chief 
cornerstone. He's the one that the builders refused, yet he, he is the one that God chose. So understand that a lot of people, can, that they can know some scripture verses, but if they're not applying it properly, if they don't have the right understanding of it, it doesn't do them any good. And you know what the mistake that they made in Jesus' day? It's the same mistake many people are making today, and that is they are looking for a physical salvation from all their problems instead of a spiritual salvation from their sins. And folks, I talk to people like this almost every week when we go out soul winning where you ask them, hey, how do you, you know, do you know if you're saved? And then, yep, I'm saved. And you ask them when they got saved and they tell you about how they almost died and then they survived. That's not the kind of salvation we're talking about. And I'm not even going to say that Jesus didn't save those folks physically, but I always got to, I always have to turn around and I always tell them, listen, y'all understand, okay, that didn't take you out, but something's going to take you out eventually. And I've had people, oh, I've had several near-death experiences. Jesus saved me out of all of them. I was like, well, wait, eventually one of them's going to get you. Eventually one of them's going to get you, and you need to make sure that you know for sure you're going to heaven, and that comes through soul salvation, not physical salvation. Look what John chapter 6 and verse 24 says. This was a problem that Jesus was constantly dealing with. We deal with the same problem today of people who believe they're saved because of some near-death experience that they had in their life. That's ridiculous. That has nothing to do with the salvation that Jesus came to bring. We see in John 6, 24, this is after Jesus had fed the 5,000. We see, it says, And when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum, seeking for Jesus. Well, amen. We got revival here, folks. People are seeking for Jesus. Isn't that what we've all been waiting for? You know, we've all been praying for the Lord to send revival to our area so everybody will just start showing up at our church. Well, that's not always revival, people just showing up for a service. We get the right singer in here. We get the right preacher in here. We can get a crowd. You know, and we might even get a crowd coming and want to sing about Jesus and talk about Jesus. But what are they looking for? What are these people? That, that's important. What people are looking for when they come to a church or when they come looking for Jesus. And it says, and when they had found him on the other side of the sea, well, they found him. They all got saved. Amen. Well, no, they didn't. They said unto him, Rabbi... When camest thou hither? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say to you, ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat the loaves and were filled. You're hungry again. That's why you're here. You just want some food. That's why you're looking for me. He said, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life. The Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. And they said unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. And we're not going to go through that whole passage, but this is where Jesus tells them, I am the bread of life. But you know what? They weren't looking for that kind of bread. And you know what happened after this? Everybody left him but the disciples. That whole mob that was looking for Jesus, they all left him. Once they realized we're not getting any physical bread, we're not getting the salvation that we're looking for. They left him. And ladies and gentlemen, there are many, many people today coming into churches looking for Jesus 
because, but they're looking for them to maybe fill their belly. They're looking for them to change their circumstances, to fix their financial situation. They might even be coming there to Jesus so he can fix their marriage or to heal their body or to get some kind of physical thing. But you know what they're not coming for? They're not coming for the bread of life. They're not coming for the things that are spiritual. And that's what Jesus came to give. That's what Jesus came to offer. And the problem that Israel had during that time, they were excited when the Messiah came through, but it's because they were looking for something from him that he wasn't coming to give. They were looking for the wrong thing from him. It's the same thing every time we get a new president. There's always a segment of our population that's thrilled to death because they're expecting to get some stuff. But when they don't get the stuff, that they thought that they were going to get, you know what they do? They end up turning on the guy, don't they? And that's what I remember when Obama got elected. He's going to give us that Obama money. You know, everybody's going to get an Obama phone. And then we got Trump and the Baptists, you know, acted like, you know, the Messiah came. And, you know, now the glory's departed from America because, you know, Trump's not here anymore. You know, what are we going to do? And, it, you know, and, and let me ask you, what did Trump give us? Besides the stimulus checks, and Biden just gave us one of those, so, you know, they're equal, right? Let me ask, what, what did Trump give us as Christians? He gave us a great economy. Okay, I, I, I'm, I'm thankful for good economies and things like that, but I'm, I'm, I'm saying, spiritually speaking, what did he do for us? Did he do anything good? Oh, he, he moved the American embassy to Jerusalem. <laughs> so what? <laughs> That's really helped Israel out, didn't it? You know, that, that really meant, oh, what a fulfillment of prophecy. On the 70th anniversary of 1948, it's got to mean the rapture is about to come, right? Well, we're way past the 70-year anniversary. Guess what prophetically happened? Nothing. Boy, they were geeking out over that. Nothing happened. And I, I love it. You know what? I'm telling you, 2018 was the one year I was like, you know what, I'm... I don't want the Lord to come back this year just because I want to watch these people's faces when the 70-year anniversary comes and goes <laughs> and nothing's happening. So they can realize this is just a fraud. This is foolishness. But e either way, everybody's always looking for something from somebody, but it's not always the right thing. The crowd was looking for Jesus. That sounds good. That's, that's religious terminology. They came looking for Jesus. But... It was, they weren't looking for the right thing. It didn't do anything. So even though the prophets told them these things about them, the builders rejecting that stone, you know what? They didn't understand it. They didn't understand these prophecies because they didn't understand the salvation that they needed. Isaiah 64, 6 says, but we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags and we do all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And there is none that calleth upon thy name that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. For thou hast hid thy face from us, and hast consumed us because of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, thou art our father, we are the clay, thou art our potter, and we are the work of thy hand. Be not wroth very sore, O Lord, neither remember iniquity forever. Behold, we beseech thee, we are all thy people. They didn't have that attitude during Jesus' day, about their righteousness as being as filthy rags. Now, they did in Isaiah's day. You know why? Because Isaiah is prophesying doom and gloom for Israel. Isaiah is prophesying captivity and destruction that's coming for Israel. But you know what? 
Israel had that destruction come and God mercifully brought them out of it. God mercifully brought them back to their land after 70 years of captivity. And so Israel is getting the idea, we're all good now. We're righteous now. We've got a beautiful temple now in Jesus' day. It's not like it was back in the days before. We've got this beautiful temple now, kind of like a lot of churches today. They think they're good churches because they got these big palaces. They're not getting anything done. A lot of times they're full of lost people, including the guy behind the pulpit. But they think because we have all these things, we're doing good. But you know what they don't? They didn't realize that they were sinful. They were repulsive in the eyes of a holy God. And they needed a cleansing from their sin that could only come through somebody who actually is righteous. And that was Jesus Christ. But you know what? What did they do whenever Jesus talked to them about their sin? They got offended. They got angry. And when John the Baptist preached, what are you talking about? We have Abraham as our father. They didn't understand that. So so trust me, they were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for Jesus. But Jesus wasn't bringing what they were wanting. And therefore, they got nothing. They got nothing. So they were looking for a physical salvation from all their problems instead of a spiritual salvation from their sin. We see... They were looking, and this is a lot of people today, this is a lot of people's attitude today, same thing as it was back then. They get involved in Christianity, they get involved with Jesus Christ because they're looking for victory over their enemies instead of victory over their flesh. We see that um, even at Christ's ascension, they were still looking for a military salvation. It's like they didn't get it figured out until Pentecost. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, it says... When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? This is after Jesus rose from the dead. So they're thinking, all right, you rose from the dead. All right, we've got a victorious mentality, finally. But, so now are you going to restore the kingdom? And look, and Jesus, he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. Looks like Jesus isn't real interested in what just happens there in Israel. He says, no, you're going to get your power from the Lord. And when you do, you're not going to take over the world physically. You know, Israel's not going to go and, and vanquish all its enemies. No, you're going to be witnesses in all the world. That's what you're going to do once you receive that power. And thankfully, eventually they got this and eventually they did that very thing. But at first, many of them didn't have that right mentality. It wasn't until later that they realized what they really needed. In Romans, in chapter 7, Paul, at this point, he's gotten this. He understands it. He says in verse 22, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So understand what Israel needed. They did not need salvation from the Romans. They needed salvation from their sins. Because let me ask you this. When Israel was right with God, who was a problem for them? Nobody. David didn't have any trouble with Goliath. You know, Israel didn't have any problems with the walls of Jericho. 
when they were being obedient. Gideon and his 300 men, they didn't have any problems with the multitude that nobody could number. In that battle, we see again and again and again, when Israel would get their hearts right with God, their enemies were not an issue. God would fight for them. And what Israel could never figure out, whenever they would be in a situation of captivity, it was like they would never figure out, hey, you know what? We must not be right with God. Because whenever they were right with God, God took care of their enemies. Sometimes they wouldn't even have to fight. Sometimes they'd fight and they'd win. Sometimes God would say, you know what? You just go sing a song and I'm going to go fight for you. Preached on that a while back. And God did all the fighting. Well, all they did was sing. That's a way to fight a war right there. I've heard some singers that could win a war just for their singing because it's that bad. But at the same time, you know, this was, this was pretty impressive. This was pretty impressive right here. But we got to understand, if God's with us and we have our souls, we're already delivered. Look what it says in Romans chapter, Romans chapter 8 and verse 31. It says, what should we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of God? Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecutions, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sakes we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Folks, when you look at that, there's no doubt the Messiah came, the Messiah brought salvation, but understand that salvation that persecution can't separate us from God. It doesn't mean we still can't be hurt physically. I mean, for thy sake, we were killed all the day long. We were counted as sheep for the slaughter. But yet we're still victorious, aren't we? Why? Because it's a spiritual victory. And that's the salvation that Jesus came to give. That is the salvation that we preach today. But a lot of people, they're not looking for that kind of salvation. They want to defeat their enemies. And we've seen Christian, and I use that term loosely, groups. Try to conquer kingdoms in the name of Christ. That's not what, that's not the way that we work. That's not the way we do things. These things are spiritual. And so what, uh, last thing we see that they were looking for, that people are looking for today is they were looking for political or social acceptance for convenience rather than truth and justice. Now turn over to 1 Corinthians 4. This is why so many people today are embarrassed by the Bible. There's a lot of people today who call themselves Christians that, you know, it's very convenient to be a Christian in America because religiously speaking, we're mostly Christian. But at the same time, this Bible, if you're wanting to be socially accepted, is going to be very embarrassing for you because it's pretty mean to some groups that our world likes. It's pretty harsh against sin. And a lot of people today, they're... It's like they're trying to use Jesus to get political acceptance, social acceptance, so they can be the majority, so they can be the leading voice. But understand, 
being a Christian is going to get you in the same trouble it got Jesus in. Jesus was despised and rejected of man. He was not the most popular guy in town. And look what it says in 1 Corinthians 4, 9. It says, For I think, or for I think that God has set forth us as the apostles last, as it were appointed to death, for we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. Even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place. And labor working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the offscoring of all things unto this day. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn ye, for though as ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, ye have not many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel, wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. You know what Paul said it is like being a Christian? He said, we're made the filth of this world. You know, nobody likes being talked about that way. But you know how many people today, their position on literally any subject is based off of what's popular because they just want to be accepted. They just want to fit in. They want to be like, they want to be like everyone else. And it's like people today are trying to make Jesus into something that's socially acceptable when he's never been socially acceptable. And it's for convenience sake, so they don't have to deal with persecution. The Jews had to deal with the fact that the Romans were there and were stronger than them. There were things that were hard on them and, uh, as Jews because of the Romans. And so they wanted Jesus to come along to get rid of these people so they can have their way and nobody can mess with them. So Israel can kind of be their safe space, so to speak. But you know what? That's not what Jesus came for. That's not why he came. He came... And he, met, he went, rode into Jerusalem that day knowing he's going to be killed just a little bit later. That's what he came for. And we've got to understand, folks, we're, we're going to be the fill this world. I just found out this week, one of the public school teachers here in town, who's teaching a class called Holocaust and Genocide, decided to talk about me. Now, where do I fit in history Especially with the Holocaust and genocide. Where do, where do I fit in that? Oh, you know, where, you know what? She got all this information about me. She got it from the Southern Poverty Law Center. Because she was looking up all these hate groups. Because apparently, and, and, and people, just to be mean to our church, got us put on that list. Even though we don't deserve it. At all. And then so she, she runs with that. And, uh, you know, thankfully, she got called out on it, and I called the school when I found out, why is your teacher teaching on history, government-funded, talking about private citizen me on this stuff, and, of course, back down fast, and a uh, parent got an apology, and they, I wanted a personal apology. She never called me up. She told him to relay the apology to me and said, from now on, she's not going to use Southern Poverty Law Center as a resource anymore. But, I mean, folks, you say, well, you're, you're terrible, you know, for being on there. No, you know what? When you preach the truth, you get treated like the filth of this world. You know how many people, they're more disgusted with people like us than they are perverts? 
You ever thought about that? I mean, they will censor people like us on social media, but they won't censor perverts. Isn't that weird? What's going on? You know why? Because, folks, we're, we're not going to win this thing politically until Jesus shows up. We're going to be the filth of this world. And a lot of people are trying to use Jesus in a way to make him this Messiah that gives them political victory. And we've got the clowns and the Fox News Baptists out there trying to make Jesus into something. We had Robert Jeffers, who's acting like he's always speaking for Christians, saying it's okay to take a vaccine that you know used unjust murder of babies to you know for them to do that research because that unjust murder brings life, just like the unjust murder of Jesus Christ brought eternal life. It's like, are you crazy? First off, Jesus willingly laid down his life. These little babies didn't do willingly die. Somebody chose to murder them for their own selfish reasons, not to bring life. I mean, what what a clown. What a clown. But you know what? You got guys like him changing things, changing the Bible just to try to make Christians look good and to fit in politically. And you know what he wants to do? He wants to take over America with the Republican Party. You know what his, you know, he was talking about Christians who act like the vaccine is the mark of the beast. You know what one of his reasons to prove that the vaccine can't be the mark of the beast? Trump's the one that put it out. Therefore, it can't be bad if Trump's the one that put it out. I was like, are you insane? Listen, if Jeffers is still kicking when the mark of the beast comes, I promise he will be in the front of the line to get the mark of the beast. I have no doubt about that in my mind. And whoever it is giving out the mark of the beast, you know, he'll think is a good guy. Therefore, it can't be the mark of the beast. But, uh, it, it, folks, we're not, Jesus is, did not come to make us popular. He didn't do that. He warned them. Paul, right here, he warned them. Jesus warned his disciples. Listen, they hated me. They're going to hate you. That's the way, that's the way this thing works. And so many people today, they've got this idea. I want to be Christian because it'll make me popular. You know why a lot of people are Baptists today in the South? Because it's easier to get a church going if you're a Baptist when you're in the South. But those same people, if they were up here, they wouldn't be Baptists because that name doesn't mean as much up here. They all, they always want to do what is politically expedient. That's their attitude. And then they try to use Jesus to make it happen and to make it look biblical what they're doing. Folks, that's not what Jesus came to do. Jesus didn't come to win a political victory that day. He came to save people from their sins. That's what he came to do. And you got to understand, God will not accept your religious performance. God will not accept you because of where you descend from. God is not entering, interested in your works and your accomplishments. He is only interested in what Jesus did for you on your behalf. That's it. And if you want to be saved, you must have faith in him and you must cry out Hosanna or oh save, but not save us from our enemies, but save me from my sin. Jesus Christ is that rock of offense and anything built on anything other than Jesus Christ, it will fall, it will crumble, it will not make it. But those who will trust in him, they will not be confounded. They will be saved. And so hopefully uh, this helps you kind of understand the spiritual significance of what was going on during that time and why you have, can have a multitude of people crying out to Jesus, save us, and them not getting saved. 
Same reason Catholics aren't getting saved when they do their vain repetition prayers. Same reason, too, at a Billy Graham crusade, when they get a whole stadium to chant a prayer, a lot of these people aren't getting saved. You know why? Because they're, they're looking for a different salvation. And it's not the salvation that Jesus offered. It's those who call on the Lord from their heart, looking to Jesus for what he actually came to save them from. Those are the people that are going to get saved. And so, with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for uh, what you did for us 2,000 years ago. And Lord, we thank you for this time of year where we look back on just the amazing uh, works that you did and how just you proved yourself with your miracles and with uh, every everything you did, Lord, the smallest detail of what happened to you on the cross. You fulfilled prophecy. You fulfilled scripture. And we thank you so much for making that clear to us so we can know that even though we've messed up just about everything in your word, we can still have salvation because you've done it for us. And I pray that uh, you'll help us to uh, do a good job of spreading the message about you and your name, but we'll get people looking to you for the right reason for salvation from their sin rather than salvation from all these other things. In your name we pray. Amen.